This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for December 4th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, the second Sunday of Advent. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today's the second Sunday in the season of Advent. Last week we set the theme for Advent, um, which is what Advent means coming, and we talked about how to prepare ourselves means to be vigilant, right? be vigilant, to keep awake, stay alert, pay attention. And we talked about three ways in which we need to do that. First is to be vigilant in, in recognizing the presence of Christ in human history, um, which we find in scriptures, but also in the world that he created, um, in, in the ways in which that can inform us. Um, about how God operates and, and how God is. Um, the second way was to be vigilant in looking for the presence of Christ in our everyday life, to learn to listen to him, to hear what it is that he has to say to us, and to be able to do the things that he gives us to do. If you remember in John, uh, John says that's what Jesus does. He does nothing but what the Father gives him to do, and he says nothing but what the Father gives him to say. We are called to that same task. And then finally, the third way was we are called to be vigilant in looking for his coming again. In looking for the final day when he shall come to judge the living and the dead. To look for the end. And so today I want to focus a little bit more on that second part. About how do we look for Christ in our life and everyday life. Everyday life. How do we hear his voice? How do we come to know that it is him? Well, a big clue to this is in today's gospel. It says that John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness. I always sort of thought it was sort of like Star Trek. I mean, when he just beamed down and was suddenly there. I mean, it appeared, it's like poof, you know, he's suddenly there. And it says that he was preaching a message of repentance and baptizing people in the Jordan River for the repentance of their sins, telling them, make straight in the, highway, in the desert a highway for our God. He was calling people to what, in Southern Baptist terms, we called the straight and narrow. Um, that's where they got that, by the way. It is biblical. To follow the straight and narrow, to exclude all of those things that would be detours um, and, and make a highway for God to come and live in your life. And he said to them when, when they were talking to him, one who is more powerful than I is coming. Now, if you think about it, that's an interesting comment. What was powerful about St. John the Baptist? He was a bit weird. I mean, probably the most powerful, I mean, he could wear camel hair. That's pretty good, I mean, if you think about it. And, and he, his meals were loc grasshoppers and honey. Um, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? I mean, actually, probably the most power he had in the way that the world thought about it, because certainly Herod didn't think he had much power, he took his head off, was that when he called, people came in droves. He drew people who wanted to be a part of this repentance. And he says, but there is one more powerful than I am who is coming, whose thongs I am not worthy to kneel down and untie. He says, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit 
Matthew adds, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's one clue that we need to realize is that if we want to, to um, hear the voice of God in our everyday life, it has something to do with that being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, today that's gotten all sorts of different kinds of meanings. It wasn't always that way. You know, the real thing is that uh, we, like John, you know, the clergy, when we baptize someone, we're doing the same thing. When I baptize someone, I baptize them with water. But it is Jesus who baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. It's not me that does it. It's Jesus who does that. And it's the same today. So what does that mean then, that, that we're baptized with the Holy Spirit? Is it just simply, it's, it's different than this whole concept of the repentance of sin, you know, of, of turning away from our sin and wanting to live better lives. It is actually the empowerment that would enable us to do the very thing that, that, that we've come for. Because it's easy to say, I don't want to sin anymore. It's a whole lot harder to not sin anymore. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. God, through baptism, gives all of us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He puts his Holy Spirit in our hearts. He implants his Spirit in us. He combines his Holy Spirit, his divine Spirit, with our human spirit. So that now we share in the two natures that Christ is, both human and divine. And the goal of the Christian and the battle of the Christian always is which one gets to decide. Is it my human spirit that gets to decide what's going on in my life? Or is it God's Holy Spirit that gets to decide what's going on in my life? And, and that's always the tension that we live in. So the goal of the Christian is not somehow or other to, to get our spirits to do the right thing. It's to, to submit our own willfulness to God, to listen to what God says, and to do what it is that he wants us to do. And we have now the ability to do that because we have been joined with God in this baptism. Now, some people like to think that baptism in the Holy Spirit is somehow or other a second baptism, which is different than the first one. And I suppose it could be because I, mean, I guess you could pour water on somebody and not really have it mean very much. But it wasn't intended to be that way. And there's no such thing really as a second baptism. It's the one sacrament that we don't do again. Once you've been baptized, you, you are baptized. You know, you don't, it's not like the Holy Spirit is a, is a quantity that, well, you got half a quart, you know, when we first put we're going to put in the other half a quart now. I mean, you either are bonded to God through the Holy Spirit or you're not. There's not any other way around it. And you know, all too often, the focus in modern times is on these, um, this concept of a second sort of baptism, as though that would somehow or other um, complete the first or make it better. Well, there is such a thing as a quickening of the Spirit, which means an awakening, a realization that, that the Spirit is in me and I am called to follow the Spirit. But it's not a new gift. And we receive gifts because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit in us equips us to do every good work that God gives us to do. He calls each of us to do the work that God gives us to do, and he will give us whatever it is that we need. We use the word gifts. We could also use the word abilities. 
you know, he, he enables us to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in building up the body of Christ. And sometimes those things are very exciting. You know, like when people have a gift of healing, you know, and, 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 and if it's a, a spiritual healing, then that's really exciting. Sometimes it's like speaking in tongues, and a lot of people get, pay a lot of attention to that. And I've always thought it was so strange because Paul lists all of these things that, that are gifts of the Spirit, and those are the ones that get all the attention. Miracles, healings, tongues. And yet Paul doesn't seem to think those are all that significant or important. He just lists them amongst many. How many times have you heard anybody get really excited about the gift of administration? It doesn't happen, does it? But that's a gift of the Spirit. You know, and that's a sure sign that we're in the wrong place because if we decide, well, the real gifts, the important ones, are these, then who's really in control? Who's really taking charge? Can you imagine if somebody said, we're going to do a barn raising and I'm bringing the tools? And, and then we're going to go out, we're going to get lumber and, you know, trees. We're going to get our own trees. We're going to, you know, make them into planks. We're going to put up this barn. And, and you get there, and, and, and the guy hands everybody a hammer. And he said, well, why did you give everybody a hammer? Don't we need screwdrivers and saws? and drill? I mean, and he said, well, the hammer was so nice looking. And everybody's all, you know, you're going to say, everybody's really excited about the hammer. Nobody gets excited about the saw. So I got everybody here because I don't want anybody to feel left out. What would it be like to build that barn? You ever tried to chop down a tree with a hammer? It would be interesting, wouldn't it? No, God doesn't hand out his gifts according to what we consider to be um, you know, glitzy or important. God hands out the gifts to us so that the body of Christ can be built up, so that his kingdom can be made real. And each one of us will be equipped to do that through the Spirit if we are willing to submit ourselves to Him. But that's where it gets tricky, isn't it? You know, it's easy for the preachers to stand up here and say, submit yourself to the will of the Spirit, do what God tells you to do. Everybody says, amen, hallelujah, and we all go home, right? And get back to business as usual. What does it really look like on a day-to-day basis to hear the voice of God in the power of the Spirit? Well, we have an example from Scripture. You all remember the story of Elijah? Elijah was a prophet, and he had been told by God to go and, and condemn Jezebel as a heretic. Anytime somebody tells you that they are a prophet, run. Because prophets always bring bad news. I mean, just, just read the Old Testament. They never were going, you're wonderful. <laughs> I mean, that just stuff never happened. It was always... Woe be unto you, you cows of Bashan. You know, I'm like, whoa. I mean, it was always something terrible. So he was called to take the queen on and tell her that she was wretched and evil and horrible. Well, not surprisingly, Jezebel took offense at this, mainly because he did it in public all the time. And she, she thought that probably wasn't a very good thing. So she finally got tired of this nut who keeps coming and condemning her every time she would go out in public. So, or so that was him killed. So Elijah finds out what's going on, and he runs away. And he, he goes all the way to the south 
of Israel. And he's hiding in a, in a mountain cliff in a crag, like a big fissure in the rock. And he's praying to God, you told me to go and do these things. Why are you letting this happen? Why is it that she wants to kill me? I mean, I thought you were supposed to take care of me. I can't believe you let this happen. Just moaning and groaning all he wants. And finally, he, he isn't hearing anything from God. Why won't you answer me? I'm going to shut up and I'm going to listen. I always thought, God probably thought, well, there's a difference. And so he does, and he hears this big thunderclap. He thinks, oh, that must be God. Nothing. It's like, but in seminary, they taught me that a thunderclap was, was a theophany of God. <laughs> Why is it not there? Why isn't God present? And then this tornado comes around. They called it a whirlwind. And big whooshing sound. Well, he remembers the Old Testament Exodus. Remember a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Oh, God's here. God's here. I'm listening. I'm listening. Everything's blowing all around. And then it's gone. Nothing. He's like, great. Here I am stuck on the side of this cliff. Somebody's trying to kill me. I have nowhere to go. And I can't even get God to talk to me. So he just sits there and he's quiet. And suddenly he hears a still, small voice. And God speaks. That's the way God works. He works in those still, small voices. I admit it's much more exciting if, if we had the thunderclaps and the whirlwind, you know. We could do that in church if you want. We get the wind machines and get the smoke pots that are going up, and you know we could all dance, and you know, and, and we just be, we'd be having a great time. I don't have much to do with God, but but we would be having a good time. <laughs> That's true, but we weren't worshiping. <laughs> but if 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 we did that, and and some churches really do like do that, and it's not that there's anything wrong with being excited about being with the Lord. But if we do it as though that somehow is the end all and the be all of everything, then we miss the point. The point is to surrender to God and to hear him. And all too often, we are looking for God in all the wrong places, in all the excitement. We want that high, that great feeling, you know, when it's fun. But God too often only speaks to us in the still, small voices, in the quiet times. So why is it we don't hear the still, small voice? Well, do you remember what I told you last week that Satan's greatest weapon was? Distraction. We fill our lives with noise, with busyness. You know, how many people here have too much time? It seems impossible, doesn't it? It doesn't seem to matter how much time you get, it just fills up anyway. And that's what we do. We fill it up. And we are so busy on our way to um, work, we have the radio on, or we listen to a book, or you know, or the kids are in the car, we're taking them to you know, school or to preschool or whatever, and, and you know, they're yelling and shouting, and we're yelling back and all. And we wonder why God doesn't get a word in edgewise. You know, he's probably waiting for us to be quiet and listen. But we don't really do that. 
And, and even in the times, have you ever noticed how hard it is, even when you determine, I'm going to take time to listen to God, how something will come along and mess that up? I'm going to set aside a half an hour every morning. Anybody ever done this? Every morning, I'm setting a half an hour time aside. For those of you who succeeded, you're really wretched. Um, but <laughs> and I'm just going to sit and listen to God. I mean, every time I do that, you know what happens? Oh, phone rings, somebody dies, somebody's in the hospital. <laughs> I mean, there's always something in there. So how are you supposed to do that? Well, so we're caught in this bind of life is too chaotic, too crazy, and I don't have time to hear God, but to hear God, I've got to learn how to listen. So what do we do? Well, I'll tell you a story of a, when I was in seminary, I was taking this course on the early church fathers, the Greek um, um, theologians who wrote the great treatises of the time. And we had a guest bishop. He was a, a Russian Orthodox bishop who came in, and he was um, going to talk to us about St. Basil the Great. And so for an hour, he came in and lectured us about St. Basil the Great. And he was wearing a big black robe, and he had one of those funny stovepipe-type hats on. And, and he had this uh, cincture on, like this one, only he didn't have one, two big knots at the bottom. He had all sorts of little knots all the way up and down it. And I noticed that the whole time he was lecturing, he was going down, and he'd stop at one knot, and then he'd go down and stop at another knot, and then he'd go down and he'd stop at another knot, and he went all the way down, and eventually he'd be like this, and then he would start back up again. And at first I thought it was just sort of fidgeting, like I sometimes do when you see me doing this or something, it's nervousness. But after a while, I could see, well, he's not fidgeting, he's doing something deliberate. So by the time the, the class was over, I had to go ask him what that was. And so I said, I, I noticed that while you were lecturing, um, and it was a brilliant lecture, I might add, but while you were lecturing, I noticed you kept doing this. And he's all, he said, oh, you saw that? And I said, yeah. And he said, you'd be surprised how many people never even noticed. And I said, well, what I'm wondering is, what, what, were you doing something significant? He goes, yes, I was praying. I said, you were praying? He said, yeah, every one of these knots is a prayer. You know, we have um, the Lord's Prayer. We have the Gloria. You know, we have the, the Kyrie. We have the Fos Hilaron. He was going through all these things. And he went through all the, you know, the creeds. All the creeds were on there. And, he went, and I said, so... While you were lecturing, you mean you just touched them and, okay, that's that prayer? He said, no, I was saying that prayer. And I said, while you were lecturing, you were saying that prayer? And he said, yeah. And I said, how, did, how in the world do you do that? How can you be doing all that while you're lecturing on this? And he said, practice. Practice. And it's true. It's about practice. It's the same way that somehow 